for the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, and we shall begin reading here in verse 14 in just a moment and read through verse 30. Again, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. One of my favorite professors at uh, Beeson Divinity School uh, was a young fellow that was a year older than me. And so uh, he had played college baseball, and he uh, played a little golf, and so he could fuss and cuss and throw clubs and stomp and snort uh, with the best of them. And we've kind of stayed in touch. If he passes through Birmingham, we'll get together and go do the same again. He was a Lucan, a Gospel of Luke scholar. Uh, he wrote his dissertation at Cambridge University in London on the triumphal entry of Jesus, okay, Palm Sunday. And I have alluded to it any number of times in Palm Sunday sermons. And he was a political science undergraduate major, and so he had a lot of interest in the socio-political context of the triumphal entry. Really some interesting insights. Gee, thanks. And I am a little warm, so I guess that's sincere too. But one of the discussions that we would get into occasionally is he would say, I'm a gospel man in that I want to know about Jesus. I want to know what he said. And I would say, you know, I'm more of an epistle guy. Uh, a lot of different reasons. I, Brian Stanley and I have had this discussion many times. Uh, I feel inadequate many times in handling the narratives of the Bible. Well, guess what? The majority of the Bible is a narrative. It tells the story of God's entrance into our world for the redemption of the bride of Christ. So I need to suck it up, buttercup, and learn how to deal with it. But, I, but I'm drawn to the epistles for a number of reasons. And again, one of them, as I begin to try to walk the Christian life, and buddy, did I stumble as I tried for a lot of different reasons. Number one, me, myself, and I. I guess that was the three big reasons. But I began to try to read the Gospels, and of course, the traditional advice, and I've given it many times, as you begin the Christian walk, read the Gospel of John, read as much as you can on a daily basis, and keep reading it and rereading it and reading it and rereading it and reading it and rereading it. Very good advice. Nothing wrong with that. The Gospel of John is a bit of an enigma, though. It's not as easy to understand as some people would say. It's kind of different. John's a little quirky. It's okay. Keep reading it, though. I'm a little quirky, too. Keep listening. It wasn't that funny. But particularly the Gospel of Luke, as I begin to try to read and grow, and I begin to see things that, I'm not going to say they were never mentioned in Sunday school and church. And remember, I had been an unbeliever. My mind and my heart had been darkened. So many things that I may have been exposed to did not resonate because the natural man, even the deacon's kid who was baptized at 10 years old as an unbeliever, even that deacon's kid did not understand the things of God. So, so many things, the lights came on at 15 years old. And then I began to see Jesus 
I remember the first passage that just wore me out. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. <laughs> That's the easy one. Ha! <laughs> you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow after me. Not many churches preach that. Jesus died to make you happy and fulfill your wildest dreams. Come to Jesus so he can fix everything about your life. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. So, the Gospels, the very words of Jesus written so that we may know Him. And so again, as I walk through this with you, I'm edified, I'm challenged. I've told you before. Sometimes I get a little antsy with, oh, my Jesus so comforts me and He's just loving and I just, He just slobbers all over me every day. And Okay, yeah. But He's also the Jesus that indicted the religious folk of His day and still the religious folk of this day. He's still the Jesus who challenges us and warns us that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He still reminds us of these great truths. And they don't always comfort me. And if, they com if it always comforts you, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. And so we come to a passage today where Jesus goes home. You know, I have the privilege sometimes, not really often, but occasionally, to go back to Ch Ch Chattooga County, Georgia. That's not Chattanooga. That's not where they filmed the movie Deliverance, although we have a Chattooga River. Y'all have all heard the story. If you don't remember it, I'll tell you again sometime, but not today. But I get to go home. But I don't get to stay long enough for me to make everybody mad. Everybody just thinks that's Bryce's boy and he's done good and da-da-da-da-da and hug his neck and slap him on the back and send him back to Birmingham quickly. But I suspect if they truly heard and understand, understood what I said to them, their reaction would be very little different from what they tried to do Jesus in this passage. A lot of times when I, again, one of those cliches that I run in the ground, two of them, they're not mad at you, you must have compromised. Number two, any sermon that you can walk away from is a good one if they don't throw you off the cliff. It's what they tried to do to Jesus. You know, beware when all men speak well of you, you're probably compromising. So, with those things being said, let's look at how Jesus was rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, 
he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Isn't this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up in three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Pray with me. Father, once again, thank you for your truth. May I make it simple. May I make it clear. May you make it understandable and applicable to every heart and to every mind, including my own. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that many times you think that I think that I know everything. That's not what I think, okay? Just so you understand that. I know a lot about a lot, but I don't know everything. And I learned something this week. I was never picked up on it. I'm sure all of you already knew this. I was just kind of behind the, you know, behind the wave a bit. But as we come to this section, having seen the baptism, having seen the temptation in the wilderness, there's actually about a year that passes before Jesus returns to Nazareth, to the region of Galilee that actually the Gospel of John, that very enigmatic, strange, quirky Gospel, tells us in chapters 1 through 4 about a ministry previous to this in Judea, where the water was turned to wine, where he cleansed the temple for the first time, where he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, I know all of y'all knew that, right? You knew there was a year in between uh, verse 13 and verse 14. But the preacher boy didn't. Kind of interesting. And so that's why when Jesus returns to Galilee, people were buzzing. There was some talk around town that the hometown boy who's gone off and people are talking about him, has come home. The golden child has returned. 
so to speak. And so Luke tells us that under the leadership, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which we already know is of central interest to Luke, that the incarnate God-man ministered and served and preached with the full power of God's Spirit upon him, okay? And Luke carries it on in his sequel called the... I'm going to fall off the stage here, folks. Called the book of Acts of the Apostles. Thank you, Karen. The Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts, sometimes people say, of the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. And so Luke is very interested. Spirit works in Jesus, descends upon the church. The church goes out in the power of the Spirit and proclaims the truth about the God-man. Okay? Kind of interesting. So Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, goes forth. His reputation has spread, and as was his custom, he goes into the synagogue for the purpose of worship. The synagogue it probably is an institution started after 586 when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem having already deported men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into Babylon, among many others. And so probably during that exile, the idea of a gathering for the hearing and, re hearing and reading of the Word of God became the norm. Okay? So God's people have always been under the obligation to assemble to hear his word. And that's an ongoing mandate, okay? Sabbath law. Jesus born a woman under the law. I didn't come to abolish the law but fulfill it. I came to live under its authority. We talked in the new members class this morning. Okay, I got a lot of hobby horses, okay? Y'all know that. Be at church. Be at church. What does Brother Tim think? Be at church. You're not enslaved to legalism, but when you miss, you hurt yourself and you hurt others. Okay? When you miss the ordained assembly to participate in the ordained means which, by which God shall work in you in His Spirit for the sake of your encouragement so that you may live in a fallen world in which all kinds of terrible things may come to you because God did not promise you through the gospel a rose garden in this life. Okay, In this world, you will suffer. It will hurt and you will cry, but I will never leave you or forsake you. And you know what? Sometimes one of you needs to walk up and take me around the shoulders or around my neck and say, Tim, I love you. I know it's tough, and I just want to encourage you. I see this in you. I see that in you, and you need to hear it from me as well. Among many other reasons, we need to assemble. That was an aside. That was free. I'm not going to charge you any extra for that, okay? 
Okay, Mike, you good with that? No, nothing extra on the paycheck this week. Okay, now, now Jesus worships at the appointed place, the appointed time, for the purpose of hearing the word of God. He is selected because he's the visiting rabbi, the hometown boy made good to read from the scroll. Now, one of the things that I'm trying to incorporate, one of our discussions as we meet for staff meetings on a weekly basis, is how do we improve what we do in here? Okay? How do we facilitate your worship? Now, some of you would say we need the music to be louder. Some of you would say we need the music to be softer. Some of you would say that we need the music to be older. And some of you would say we need the music to be newer. Some of you would say who knows what. Okay? I think I've heard it all, but I can't remember it all, thank God. But next week when I step in this pulpit, I need to be a better preacher than I am right now. I need to be a better preacher than I am today. And every one of us, whatever God has appointed us and however God has appointed us to serve, we need to be better. So one of the things that we want to do that I think is biblical and probably people would whine about it, imagine whiners in a Southern Baptist church, is we need to read more Scripture publicly. You need, what i got to say is really good, but what God's got to say is better. And so you notice in our Lord's Supper, Potlucks weekly, Lord's Supper quarterly. If y'all didn't see that, you missed a good one. So, but in the Lord's Supper, you'll notice longer Scripture readings. That's intentional. That's planned. Okay? That's a plan. We need to hear the Word of God together as a people. We need to pray audibly together. And so that's a part of how do we cultivate worship among the worshiping community. Just an aside. So, so they read. He stood to read, and he read this particular passage. Those of you that are here on Wednesday night, and everybody should be because it's a great time of assembly, and I have a lot of fun, and I get to pick on Debbie Burdett and Sandy, and it makes me very, very happy to do that. But we work just consecutively through the Bible. Just boom, 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 boom. And they know, don't you, that I, there are two Isaiahs. There's the book of the first book, and it tell, it's the prophecy of the coming destruction, the indictment, and then the, the second half of the book is the book of consolation. The promise of the one to come, the suffering servant. Okay? So in chapter 61 and chapter 58, we find these words that everybody in the room that day knew was messianic. This has to do with the promised one, the righteous branch of David, the, the king who is to come. And so Jesus reads this, these words, and everybody's good. Okay, everybody's good. Of course, they were all going like happens in Southern Baptist churches and every other church. We read the Bible, and this is what it means to me, and this is what it means to me. And this is what it means to me. And this is what it means to me. Okay? What matters is what it means to God. Right? 
What did God mean by what God said? Okay? So, Jesus read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Who's the me? Well, we'll find out in a minute. But it's the promised one. It's the Messiah. Because He has anointed me through the power of His Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Now, I'll say this, another aside, no extra pay, okay? Promise. The one criticism, imagine me criticizing anything. That's just not the way I roll, is it? The one criticism, and it's a big one, of the movie yesterday, God forgives, but I don't think there's one single mention of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary, the necessity of repentance and faith. That bugs me, folks. That bugs me. Because, again, there's a lot of gods out there. But the only God, the true God, has sent His Son into the world to die on the cross for you and me. That is the God we want to talk about. Not just a good guy up there in heaven that understands you mess up and you get discouraged and you have abortions and you get involved in illicit relationships and you do stupid things and you show your hiney in places you shouldn't show your hiney because you drank too much and all that stuff. It is a God who sent his son into the world and his name is Jesus Christ. And he died an atoning death at the cross at Calvary for you and me. That's the Jesus I want to see. And here, and again, Johnny, we still got to have our meeting. But Jeff Durbin and end abortion now. Quit pussyfooting around, playing political games, and end it. They have a very gospel-centered, saturated approach. Folks hooping and hollering and trying to embarrass people and all of this will not end any sin, but the gospel will. The gospel will. So, just something to think about. So, to proclaim the good news. What's the good news? Well, I'm a good guy and you're a good guy and we like being good guys together. Right? No, the good news is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so, again, you're... Um, trying to think, your liberation theology guys project on this, your health and wealth project. Yes, good news to the poor. You can name it and claim it and your goats won't die. You can name it and claim it and you won't be sick, says the guy wearing glasses with gray hair. You do get it. Right here, mortality, folks. Mortality. I'm dying. And you are too. And the gospel doesn't reverse the realities of life in a fallen world. Okay? So, good news to those who are poor in spirit that realize that all the only hope they have is a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. Okay? That's when I'm poor in spirit. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. To proclaim ephesimai. You're set free. Your sins are sent away. You are forgiven. You're held captive. You're under the burden of sin. And Jesus came to, to say to us, Come unto me, all of you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay? Release from the burden that which holds you captive, namely your sin. Recovery of sight for the blind. 
Why do the abortionists do abortions? Because the God of this age has blinded them, because the natural man does not understand the things of God, because they're spiritually discerned. Unbelievers act like unbelievers because they, they're liars from the very beginning, just like their father, the Satan. That's why they do these things. And only the gospel will change them. Okay? They're spiritually blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed by sin and death and the grave and Satan himself. Okay? Oppressed by the need of a Savior. And to proclaim, now is the appointed time. Now is the time of salvation where everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But what does he go on to say? How shall they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone is sent? And how will they hear unless someone goes? That's why we go to Kenya, Tanzania, and Romania, and across the street, and next door, and to the workplace, and to the schoolhouse. That's why we go. Because we can, we can talk about the sovereignty of God all we want to, and I believe it. God's sovereign, period. But he uses us to tell people about Jesus so they'll be saved. Sovereignly. Sovereignly. So, Jesus reads this. He leaves out the original because immediately Isaiah reminds those who read and hear of the Lord's judgment that's coming. Now see, I make people uncomfortable because I warn people of the wrath to come. If you're apart from Jesus Christ right now, hear me. If you want to shut me down on everything else I say today, shut me down. Hear me. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never repented, if you are not born again, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I didn't say you've never joined a church. I didn't say you never went to children's camp or BBS and asked Jesus into your heart and all this stuff that we do. I'm saying if there is not a telltale evidence, a telltale marking in your sign in your life that God has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you're not believing right now, if you're not repenting right now, then you're under the wrath of God. You're liable to the judgment of God. And if you were to die in that condition today, you will die and you will go to hell. And I will be absolved of all guilt because your blood will not be on my hands. I have told you the truth. So, Jesus proclaimed, come unto me. Come unto me. And he's still proclaiming that message. And so, the people are like, cool. Verse 20. Rolls up the scroll, and they're saying, well, this is what it means to me, and this is what it means to me, and da-da-da-da-da, Jesus is a nice kid, and he looks nice and cleans up well, and so forth and so on. And, and then Jesus says, well, I don't think you quite get it. Reminds me of Paul Washer down in Montgomery a few years back, indicting the young people that were attending a youth conference that they shouldn't be following Britney Spears at Al. And, Now, Paul, see, I go nuts, trying to rein it in, trying to behave. Paul Washer never raises his voice. Just the gentlest, most soft-spoken guy in the world. I dare you to go Google him and listen to him. <laughs> that ain't no joke, preacher. I don't know why you're cheering. I'm talking about you. 
I'm talking about you. <clears throat> well, again, that's our boy Jesus. Well, you don't get it then. The Scripture is fulfilled right now. You're looking at the fulfillment. Well, they still don't get it, okay? They think, cool deal. That's Joe down to Carpenter Shop's kid. You remember Joe? Yeah, that's his boy. Now, it's kind of the little squirrely details about his birth, but it's still Joe's boy. It's still Joe's boy. Good kid. Good kid. Never, never gave anybody any trouble. Helped the little old ladies across the street, bag their groceries down at the Piggly Wiggly, you know, whole nine yards. And so, then he presses forward. You know, some of us just can't quit. You know, somebody gave me a T-shirt a few years ago. Uh, Help, I'm preaching and I can't shut up. It wasn't that funny, whoever I hear giggling. Gary. So he presses on in verse 23. He explains it, okay? Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What you have heard you did it, what we've heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. What have they been hearing about? Healings, demonstrations of God's power through Jesus. So, you know, you, you do the deal here, Jesus. Now, some people think that Jesus may have had some type of visible physical malady. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I think what they're telling him and what he's responding to, again, is, is this. You look at it, the whole context. We want you to give us a miracle. Show us a sign. Now, hear me. Hear me. Not even the miracles of Jesus Christ himself were enough to create the new birth in the heart of unbelievers. He raised Lazarus from the dead right in the presence of the religious folks, and they thought, the best thing to do was to kill Jesus. A miracle will not convert. What converts? Word, spirit. Always has been, always will be. That's the only thing. That is the only thing that ever converts. Word and spirit. That's why we're all about word and spirit here at North Clay Baptist Church. Okay? That's how, people, that's how your life continues to be changed. Power of the spirit, authority of the word. So, Jesus says, makes an analogy here from the prophets. Well, yeah, I get you. I know what you're saying. But Elijah and Elisha were both selected. Were both selected. They didn't go and God didn't work in unbelieving Israel. They went into the Gentile world and God worked miracles, two different miracles. Obviously, I'm running out of time, so you can go back and read it. Two different miracles through those men. What Jesus is saying, you're just like your forefathers in persecuting those who preach the truth, namely the prophets under the Old Covenant, that you're in such an unbelieving state that God is going to pass over you, okay? You're like the ancients that you think, well, we would have never acted like that. We would have never persecuted Ezekiel and Jeremiah 
in Isaiah. We would have never done that. And Jesus says, no, you're exactly like them. You can't recognize the truth. And so, guess what? They quit saying this is what it means to me at that point because they understood what the point was. They understood that Jesus was saying the incarnation, the incarnate fulfillment of the prophetic words regarding the Messiah through the prophet Isaiah is standing right here in front of you in flesh and blood. Meet the Messiah. Wow. And they didn't like it a bit. They didn't like it a bit. That's just Joe's boy. That's just Joe's boy down at the carpenter shop. And so what did they do? Well, as unbelievers have done forever, Martin Luther had to go hide. William Tyndall had to go hide. Faithful men have always had to run from those who hate the gospel. And many times they're the religious folks. Okay? And so... Paul preaches, and they hate him. He has to slip out of a window in the middle of, of the night. He goes from place to place to place. He's, he's been beat half to death, and he shows up in Corinth. I determined to know nothing among you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was among you in fear and trembling, and I decided not to try to talk pretty to you. I decided that I would bring the Spirit to bear upon your life by preaching faithfully and accurately the Word of God. Okay? And so... They take him out. And, and another, you know, I talked about Luke's interest in the Spirit. Another thing that Luke is very interested in, at the appointed time, as God unveils his timetable that's been set in his heart and mind, which means it's set in concrete, folks, or something even stronger than that, for the appointed time and the appointed means for Jesus Christ to be revealed and ultimately crucified, and it wasn't that day. Now, I don't know how it actually happened, but they're ready to throw him off the cliff. Probably y'all feel like throwing me off the cliff every once in a while. It's okay. So they take him out to the cliff, going to dash his heads on the rock. Right? And Jesus, in omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent power walks through the midst of the angry mob because it's not the appointed time. It's not the day that he would be delivered into the hands of his enemies. It's not the day that according to God's set purpose and foreknowledge that Jesus Christ, the one that God has anointed and raised up, would be placed on the cross. It's just not that day. It's not that day. And so Jesus lives to preach another day. One of the things that the Gospels do is kind of a technique called the Messianic secret. You ever read where Jesus said, don't go tell nobody? You ever heard that? Don't go tell nobody. John 6, they wanted to make him the king. No, time's not yet come. You don't, you don't get it, guys. That's not what I came to do. Peter, Peter, you've been with me three years. You've got in the th mind the things of Satan. In fact, get behind me, Satan. You don't get it. So at the appointed time, Jesus suffers and dies. But he's going to preach, I guess, roughly another couple of years. 
He's going to live another couple of years. He's going to live in our fallen world, and he understands completely the fallenness of our world. And then, and I was, you know, goofy me. As I was going through this and thinking about the appointed time, Rocky too. Adrian is delivering the baby, about to die, and Rocky doesn't want to train anymore. You remember? And she wakes up. When? When? When, Rocky, when? Remember the music? The appointed time for Rocky. And he starts working out and goes and beats Apollo Creed and the whole nine yards. At the appointed time, I can just hear the, Jesus goes to the cross. But not until then. Not until then. And so Jesus came and he proclaimed the truth. And indeed, it is good news for all who are under the weight of sin and they know it. Listen, the gospel is only for one group of people and one group of people only. It excludes every other people. Hear me. Hear me. The gospel excludes every other group of people except one. And that's for sinners who know they need a Savior. And you know what? It is a gift of God that you know you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that His name is Jesus. Because not everybody knows that. Not everybody knows that. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You for Your grace, for the accomplishment of Your Son at Calvary, Lord. He came, and just as John the Baptist before Him, He came preaching. He came preaching Thus saith the Lord. He came proclaiming the good news. The good news that all who come unto me who are weary and heavy laden, I will without fail give you rest. And so, Lord, I pray that your word has accomplished its purpose. Lord, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. But, Lord, you can do all things. We entrust this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.